God's word is certainly a sure and steady anchor for the soul. And in this past week, I've sat by bedsides of people who are very much so declining in health. We've talked about whether or not they were afraid. If they're scared. Most people are when they're dying. But God teaches us that we are to not be afraid, for he is with us. And his rod and his staff, they comfort us as a good shepherd that loves us. And I pray that God would use our church to make your faith grounded in the truth of the word of God. So that your heart feels and sings scripture like Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. May that be where your heart is. May God create that in us even now as we uh, look to his word. We have been for quite some time in the minor prophets. Today we will start our fifth minor prophet. If you would, turn to the book of Jonah. Jonah may be the most well-known of all the minor prophets. Many of them, like Obadiah last week, nobody has ever really heard of. I had a man who is an ordained minister and has pastored two churches tell me after last week that that's the first sermon he's ever heard in his whole life on the book of Obadiah. And we're in the minor prophets, and so we're learning a lot. But the one we are going to cover today, Jonah, or start today, we're not going to cover all of it, the one we're going to start today, Jonah, is perhaps the most well-known because it is a story. It's very different from the rest of the minor prophets. It's just a story. It's a really, really good story, and it is true. And if you are a skeptic, then you may disagree with me that it's true, but I believe that it is totally true. And this is the story that all the kids' books and all the kids' movies and all the children's Bibles love to tell because God's man Jonah was swallowed by a fish. And he survived in that, flit, in that fish, and the fish then spit him out. And I believe wholeheartedly that that truly happened. That's this story, Jonah. But it is really, really a good story. And I think as we get into it and we, we read it and we look at it, you're going to learn a lot from it. Yesterday, Fairdale High School had their first home football game of the year, and if you didn't know, we have the wonderful opportunity and privilege to feed them a pregame meal every game. We are looking forward to that. They do not play this next week, but beginning the next Friday, August 31st, we will feed them every single Friday here at church for the next nine weeks, okay? We're going to be busy. The kitchen uh, is going to be busy, and if you ever want to volunteer, if you know how to wash dishes or sweep floors or wipe tables or give high fives, you are welcome here and would love to have you around. That is every Friday from now until basically November. They come down here and we feed them, and when we do that, I uh, get to talk to them, give them a little five-minute pep talk and use the, the Word of God, and I did that yesterday. And the message to them yesterday was that sports have helped my life so much, but they don't complete my life. As much as I would like for sports to complete my life, they just don't. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can make me whole. That was the message yesterday to the team. 
When I talked to them about how much sports have helped my life, I gave them several examples of high school coaches and teammates that have really, really shaped me. And I could go on and on with some of my high school coaches and coaches who invested in me. It was my high school coach that told me, when you show up tomorrow, your face better be clean shaven, first game of the year. And I said to him in the ninth grade, Coach, I'd never shaved before. I don't know how. He said, do you have a dad? I said, yes, sir. He'll teach you tonight, he said. And you'll be here clean shaven tomorrow. I've never forgotten that. Things like that are important because I look back and I say, who would I be were it not for that man's influence in my life? He coached me for four years. Who would I be were it not for his influence in my life? I could tell you so many stories. And what if he had not taken the job there to coach there? What if he had gotten fired and I'd had a different coach? And I know that ripple effects are ripple effects. And so if it wasn't him, it perhaps would have been somebody else. But you see what I mean, that there are so many influences in our lives, and yet what if that wasn't there? When the church hired me in 2003, they asked if I could commit to two years. And if I had kept my two-year commitment and left in 2005, I wonder where I would have been. And I wonder if we would have ended up with these children. And I wonder what would have happened. And I wonder if our kids would have found this wonderful, wonderful school, Fairdale Elementary, that we are so happy about. You see what I mean by the ripple effect? Well, let's talk spiritually now. Has God used this church to really change your life? Is God growing your faith because of this church, because of some people? It is fascinating that God's design in Christian discipleship is that it would be a life for a life. That it would be a friend that invited you to know the Lord or a friend that asked you to begin reading the Bible or invited you to church and from there you got involved and began to follow the Lord. What, what if they had not done that? How might the world be different or your world be different or your family be different were it not for this person or that person? And when we start to get that way, we can start to see the importance, the heavy importance of us being obedient and us being disobedient. There are a lot of young men and young women that me and my wife and even our children get to spend a lot of time with. And just yesterday, we had three college-age people stop by our house unexpectedly, and we got to spend a little bit of time with them, talking to them. We loved it, and it was for the glory of God. But me and Val often talk about what, what would they think about Jesus if Val and I were to turn from God and give up on all this and disobey him. There would be a ripple effect, wouldn't there? And there's always a ripple effect. The story of Jonah is about another prophet, minor prophet. These minor prophets are minor not because they're not important, but because they're small. We say that every time. They're just small books, so we call them minor. They're huge stories. The story of Jonah is about God's man, the prophet, that he calls, and he says, go tell them this. And he doesn't do it. He doesn't want to do it. 
And so we start to see the consequences of that, both for his life and for everybody else's. How might your world and your family and your relationships be different if you were obedient to God? How much heartache would be gone if you did what you were supposed to do? Jonah gets us thinking like this. I want us to read the entire book of Jonah. I know my voice may get boring, but follow along. You will do better if you look at the Bible and listen to me read, okay? Look at the Bible and listen to me read. You'll do a lot better if you do that. But I want us to read the whole thing, and then I'm going to come back to chapter 1, and we're going to look at a few things. If you've never heard this story, you're going to love it. One of the things I like to say often is that most people think the Bible's boring and hard to understand, right? We hear that a lot. Just some of it. But most things are that way. The Bible's awesome, fascinating, intriguing. It will have you wanting more. Jonah's that way. Let's read. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Verse 7, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? And what is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Verse 17, 
And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city in three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes and he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles let neither man nor beast herd nor flock taste anything let them not feed or drink water but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God let everyone turn from his evil and from the violence that is in his hands who knows God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Chapter 4, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he 
should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. What a story. The Bible's not boring or confusing in some places. It is soul-stirring and gripping if you will read it. When we began the Minor Prophets, we looked at Hosea. We spent three weeks there. We saw God tell Hosea to marry a prostitute. And God showed that her unfaithfulness was a picture of his people's unfaithfulness. And yet, even in their unfaithfulness, God would love them. And he would begin drawing the remnant, some of them, back to him in his love. From there, we went to Joel, and we looked at uh, God's people and the warning and how God is going to bring a redemption out of them. He's going to do his great new covenant work. Holy Spirit is going to come upon them, this miraculous work of creating a people out of his unfaithful people. Then we looked to Amos. We saw both that God says, I'm going to judge. You are condemned. I'm coming for you. I am angry with you. But he says, seek me and live. And he reminds that there will be some that he saves, that he brings back. And then last week, we saw Obadiah, which was written not to the people of God, but rather to to Edom. And the message of Obadiah was very clear, short and sweet, 21 verses, no chapters. I'm going to destroy y'all. But the very last statement of Obadiah said, your mountain, your land will be my kingdom. God will reign at the end, even if you reject him. All of that has to do with God working in his people. And it does not necessarily mention those who are not his people. And it raises the question, after four minor prophets, what about everybody else? What about all the nations that aren't Israel? And just right in perfect timing, God gives us Jonah. And his man, the minor prophet. Jonah doesn't like it if God likes people who are not like him. Jonah doesn't like this. Jonah's bothered by it. Jonah flees from God and from God's work and from God's calling and from God's, listen to me, God's love. I would imagine that as we just sang Psalm 23, you were touched by that good song. Psalm 23 is very familiar. It's probably the most familiar passage. Goodness and mercy all the days of my life. And I bet you loved that. But what about if your enemies get that same goodness and mercy? This is what Jonah is about. God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh. 
Nineveh was like the best city in the Assyrian Empire. It often was opposing Israel. It was the downfall and destroyer of Israel at one point. And that's where he told him to go. Most of the minor prophets, God's telling his man to go speak to his people. In Obadiah, it was go speak to Edom, I'm going to destroy them. But in Nineveh, it's go, it's, it, in, in Jonah, it's go speak to Nineveh, not my people, and I'm going to save some of them. And Jonah knows, I don't like that. I don't want God's goodness and mercy to be at work in these people's lives that I don't like. It's an interesting, interesting book. The whole book is about the minor prophet being disobedient. We need to be open and honest about when we are disobedient. We need to hear that disobedience is a bad thing and obedience is the call, but we need to hear more of that. I hope you wouldn't walk out right now. And I, You need to hear where obedience comes from and we will get there. H.B. Charles says that the book of Jonah is very simple. God said go, Jonah said no. That's what it's about. I want to give you three thoughts today. Number one, Jonah disobeyed God because of himself. Jonah disobeyed God because of Jonah. Jonah was Jonah's biggest problem. Would you admit that? Remember last week when I preached hard on pride? Do you remember that? I preached really hard on pride last week. Do you remember when I said that if you are always upset with everybody else and complaining about everybody else, that perhaps the problem is not everybody else, perhaps the problem is you? The problem here in Jonah's life, on some accounts, is Jonah. Jonah's problem is Jonah. He disobeyed God because of himself. He disobeyed God because of him. Jonah didn't want to do this. Jonah didn't like Nineveh. He didn't want to do what God had asked him to do. He didn't want to wait. He, he, he didn't wait for what God wanted him to do. Jonah didn't. You know, it reminds me when... Uh, the kids like miss the trash cans that ever happened at your house and you go to look at the trash and you see that there are candy wrappers on the floor and so you say hey whose trash was that and they say oh, it was mine I said well you missed and they don't get up are so you going to go pick it up I don't want to it's bad isn't it well I don't care if you want to, go pick it up, right? This happens. This happens in your house. And there are bigger things than candy wrappers, right? There are things that we ought to be doing, but we don't want to do. Do you realize that's the difference between maturity and immaturity? Do you realize that's the difference between adulthood and childhood? Do you realize that's the difference between responsibility and irresponsibility? Wouldn't it have felt good to sleep in today? Greg, you're tired, aren't you? Wouldn't it have felt good to sleep in today? But as much as we needed rest, we need something a little bit more. 
and, and, and our maturity, our adulthood, our hopefully our faith says, here's what I need to do, and, and I've got to do what I've got to do. And Jonah's situation here is that God had called him, and he says, I don't want to do it. Do you remember in Amos, so not Obadiah, but the, the minor prophet for Amos? Do you remember when they came to Amos and said, hey, you're not allowed to prophesy here anymore. You can go up to the next nation and you can prophesy there, but you're not going to prophesy here anymore. Do you remember what Amos' reply was? Hey, wait a second. I didn't grow up a prophet. My dad's not a prophet. I'm in this because God called me. And if God calls me, that's what I have to do. Therefore, thus says the Lord. That was Amos' reply. That's a good one. And I told you that two weeks ago. Man, that's a good reply. Whether I want to or not, whether I like it or not, whether I feel like doing it or not, I need to do what I need to do. And if you've got children in our life, in your life, I hope you get that to the core. You have got to do what you've got to do. If God has given you a child, you have to do it, whether you like it or not, whether it's hard or not. Jonah says, I don't want to. Look at chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. That's how most of these minor prophets begin. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, and here's what it said. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. And if it was like the other minor prophets, it would have moved forward with him going to do that. But it's different. Verse 3 says, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Y'all, if you would look at a map, go look up Nineveh Tarshish on a map. He went in nearly the most opposite direction. And Tarshish is not just the opposite direction. It's like as far as he could possibly go. It's something that nobody would do. Nobody would do unless there was a very intentional, uh, strategic determination. Let me flee. Let me get out of here. I want to get as far away as I possibly can so that... I can't be coerced into doing it. I can't be forced into doing it. I can't even be guilted into doing it. Let me get out of sight, out of mind, and that way I won't have to deal with my problem, with my disobedience, with my sin. And that's what Jonah's doing. God says, do this. In the very next verse, Jonah says, I'm out of here. Fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Now, Let me make some real simple observation here. Jonah's doing that because he's sinful, he's hard-hearted, he's not walking by faith, he's not believing God, he's not trusting God. He's certainly thinking more about what he wants to do rather than what God wants him to do, right? And so he says, I'm going to Tarshish, I'm going to get away from God's sight, God's presence. Can you? Can you? You think God sees Tarshish? You think God knows where he's going? Absolutely. Can I let you know that he didn't flee from God? He tried. Are you running from God? Would you admit that you're your problem? Has God been convicting you to start doing this and start doing this and start doing this, but you won't? Has your family been begging you to start doing this? Hey, we really need to do this. You know what stung me a few weeks ago? And Carolina said, Daddy, you took me on a daddy-daughter date, but are we ever going to do that again? (laughs) 
You like Jonah? Hey, I know this is what I'm supposed to do, but I'm out of here. And if I never talk to Pastor Josh, I'm, nobody ever talk to me about it. If I never go to church or a small group or Sunday school, nobody will confront me about it. I just stay in my own lane, do only what I want to do. Jonah was disobeying God because of himself. Notice that it says that he went down to Joppa. He found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare with it. With his own money. Spent money, paid a lot just to run from God. Just to get to a place or a spot where nobody could say, man, you're wrong. You're fleeing. Why aren't you doing that? You really going to disobey God? What about Nineveh? What about Nineveh? He just, wanted to, he just wanted to get to a spot where nobody could bring these things up. It says, away, it says in verse 3, away from the presence of the Lord. At the beginning, man, verse 3 is kind of long. At the end of verse 3, it says again, away from the presence of the Lord. Several years ago when I was a youth pastor, we were, we were just trying to find people. We didn't have many people around here. We were just trying to, to find people. I knew that Fairdale was full of people. One of my favorite things about Fairdale is that there's a lot of foot traffic. There are people walking around, riding bikes all the time, always people at the park, always people back here on our basketball goal playing, and that's a great thing. If you're looking for somebody to invite to church, that's not a problem. And I remember that there were some, some people here at church, and I remember somebody said, hey, y'all better watch out. Pastor Josh just got here He's going to ask y'all to go back there and invite them into church. And I remember thinking to myself, like, would you really want to avoid that? You're really trying to avoid inviting somebody to church? You really hope they don't come here and hear about Jesus' goodness and mercy that follow you all the days of your life? You hope they don't find it? You hope they keep playing back there and Ever find God? I remember one time I went back there to a kid that was shooting basketball and talked to him. And he said, man, I don't do church. Don't you want him to know church? More than that, don't you want him to know Jesus? Are you okay to say God wants me to go talk to somebody, but I'm not? I don't, I don't do that. Jonah was disobeying God because of him Self, But beyond that, it gets heavier. Jonah was disobeying God because of God. He didn't like God. This is the big, huge point in the book of Jonah. And there are lots of good points, but this is the big one. Jonah did not like the way God was. Jonah didn't want God to do what God does. Jonah was trying to get away from God. That's why it tells us twice, away from the presence of the Lord. The problem is, when you're sinning and running from God, you're thinking, I'm away from it. But the truth is, you're never away from God. You may get away from the people that are helping you be accountable, God. Praise God for church and community and fellowship and all that good stuff. And you may be able to avoid that, but you've not avoided God which Jonah finds out. There's going to be sailors who don't even believe in God. They're just trying to ask anybody, pray to your God, pray to your God, pray to your God. Jonah is foolish. But his problem here is God. This is scary. Look what happens. He gets a second chance. He's out of the fish. Turn over to chapter 4. 
He gets a second chance, and he goes this time, and he preaches to them, and in an amazing work and revival of God, the Bible just says very clearly, and the people of Nineveh believed God. They repented. They turned. They said, you're right. We're wicked. We're living wrong. Thank you for drawing it to my attention. We need to turn back to the mercy of the Lord. God does that. Yes, he does. When somebody speaks up and does what God has asked them to do, invites somebody to church, they come to church, they hear this, they love it. God works in their lives. You talk to a friend about the Lord. You bump into them at a ball game. You say, hey, let's get back focused on the Lord. God works through that. He does it with Jonah. Even Jonah's stubborn disobedience, he does it. Jonah does it. And just like that, Nineveh, this wicked and great city in Assyria, they believe. The king issues an edict for everybody to repent and turn to God, and it works, and God does it. And listen to what Jonah says. This will hurt you to your core. This hits home more than we wish that it would hit home. Chapter 4. It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. There have been times where somebody has showed up to church, and people have been mad about it. What are they doing here? How ridiculous is that? It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord, and he said, Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? In other words, Jonah's going, I knew it. I knew that that good gospel message of the Father in heaven, who is the creator of heaven and earth, I knew that if they knew how much he loved them and that he forgives sins, that they might turn to him. I knew that you grant repentance when the gospel is preached. I knew that you work through your word. I knew it, I knew it, I knew it, and I did it. You made me do it because of that whole fish thing. You made me do it, and they repented, and now I'm angry about it. And look what he says at chapter 4, verse 2. This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. This is why I wanted to get out of here. This is why I wanted to get away from you, God. For, look at this, verse two, uh, chapter 4, verse 2, halfway through. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah said, I knew the God that called me was a faithful, saving God. He knew it. At the end of chapter 2, verse 9, it says, salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah is angry that the sweet promises of the word of God are true. Jonah is angry that though there is a war raging for this to not be the standard and for this not be the authority, and this not be the sweet bread of life that we live by. It is true as true can be. And he said, I'm going to get out of here. I'm not going to speak it. I'm not going to live it out. I'm not going to obey it. Let's just be done with it. And maybe everything else will be better. But the word of God proves true. The word of God stands forever. He was upset that God was gracious to Nineveh, merciful to them, forgave them of their sins, changed their lives, gave them faith, saved them, changed their eternities. He was upset about it. So my first point was that Jonah disobeyed because of himself. Jonah's problem was Jonah, but the second point for us here today is that Jonah disobeyed because of God. Jonah's problem was God. 
And if we are totally honest, we must admit that we may, we may walk the straight and narrow or strive for obedience in some areas, but there are some issues in our life that we are avoiding because what God says, we're not sure if we like. God has told us that sexual immorality is sexual immorality, and we are to have nothing of it. You want to be sexual, then get married and love each other and commit yourself to each other. And we have all over the place people who are wanting so badly to have a little bit of God in their lives, but not that. Look like Jonah. You know, when Jonah got to Tarshish, I bet they thought he was the greatest guy. I bet Tarshish was like, man, this guy just moved in on our street. He is so nice to us. I mean, he welcomed us, baked us some cookies. He's always there for us. I mean, he's just a great guy. They didn't know where his heart was fleeing from the Lord. They didn't know that he had an issue with God. They didn't know that God's ways burned him and he was upset about that. They didn't know that. Is your problem God? Are there some areas in your life? Do you talk to your children in such a way that if you started thinking about God, seeing that, it would bother you? Do your coworkers roll their eyes at the idea that you go to church? Is God your problem? Would you admit it that you just don't want to do life God's way and you will not turn it over to him? That's Jonah. Jonah is a bitter man. He disobeyed because of God. He tried to get away from the presence of the Lord. And yet, let me say it again, you cannot do that. You can't. As the old saying goes, you can run from God, but you cannot hide. He sees you. So what do we do with that? What does God want from us? God wants us to admit that disobedience is disobedience. That disobedience is wrong. That disobedience is a rebellion against God. That disobedience is sinful and that it must be dealt with. And the Bible sends this message, this, this two-way message, two-fold message that says God loves us and he sent his son Jesus to live and never sin. And we've got a life of a man, the God-man, that we can look at. We see how Jesus is with poor people. We see how he is with wealthy people. We see how he is with crazy people. We see how he is with educated people. We see how Jesus is in busy times. We see how he is in slow times. We get to see Jesus a lot. We see him around the religious people in the temple and in the synagogue when he's teaching. And we see Jesus when he's out in the wilderness. We have got a lot of Jesus to study. And you know what? He never ever wavered. He was faithful and true. I'm not going to cover it today, but imagine here in a week or two when we start comparing Jesus asleep in the bottom of a boat during a storm 
compared to Jonah asleep in the bottom of a boat in the storm. You see that comparison there? There's a lot of comparing and contrasting there. And when Jesus, this great man of God, holy and true through and through, had been doing his ministry for about three years, they said enough's enough. They started scheming to kill him. They led an uproar against him. Literally, multitudes and multitudes were crying out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Good, upright, religious people hated Jesus. And so they killed him. They nailed him to a cross. They crucified him. They took his life. On the cross, Jesus said a few things. One of them was, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. When you are running from the presence of the Lord, you don't know what you're doing. You're trying to find some place that won't be so guilty feeling, but you will never find it. You'll sit at home by yourself, and you can't run from a guilty conscience. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You're trying to do life your way. You're trying to be like Jonah, and it doesn't work. They buried Jesus in the grave, and he rose again, and Jesus lives forever. He is alive forevermore. He will not die again. He is alive forever. And Jesus, that sweet Savior, says, anybody that comes to me and says, forgive me for my disobedience, I will forgive. That's a sweet message from God that even if we've been disobedient, he will forgive us. He loves to forgive. Jonah said it very well. I knew this about you, God, that you are a gracious God, a merciful God. You are slow to anger. You abound in steadfast love and that you relent from disaster on people. God, you turn away people's sins and you welcome sinful, disobedient people into your love. God, that's what you're like. And it drives me nuts, Jonah said. And so I tried to get away from it. If you're here today and you would dare admit your disobedience, your disobedience in your life now, your life in the past, ways in which you have not submitted yourself to God and said God's way is the best way, my way is not what's best, I don't want me to be my problem, I don't want God to be my problem, I want to be trusting in God, I want to do what he asked me to do because that's maturity, that's adulthood, that is walking by faith, that is responsibility, that's what I want to do because God's way is what's best for me. If you would turn yourself to God and say, God, forgive me, listen, he will. He will. You can be a Christian by turning to him. But if you will not turn to him, there is this consistent message of eventually God is going to deal with us. And that's what these minor prophets are hammering Eventually, God is going to deal with us. And Jonah is going to show us this. We're going to spend several weeks here. He disobeyed because of himself. He didn't want to do what God wanted him to do. He disobeyed because of God. He didn't like the way God was. Finally, we should obey God. But not partially. We should fully obey God. 
And every one of you should be saying, but Josh, I can't. And you're right. Don't leave here today going, I heard it, I need to go obey God. That's the message. No, you can't obey God fully. You need Jesus. You need Jesus as Lord. You need Jesus as Savior. You need Jesus to forgive you of your sins. You need to be able to set your eyes on Jesus and say, I'm going to live for God. I'm going to ask God to help me obey. I'm going to try to obey. I'm going to understand that obedience and disobedience makes a big difference in all of life. And every time I'm disobedient, I'm going to fall back on the work of Christ. And every time I'm looking to be obedient, I'm going to fall back on the work of Christ. I'm going to ask Jesus to guide me to be obedient, and I'm going to ask Jesus to forgive me every time I'm disobedient, and I'm going to live my life for Jesus, through Jesus, because of Jesus, all for Jesus, because that's the only way to have a healthy view of obedience and disobedience. That is Christianity. And I'm thankful that Jonah's teaching us that. It's hard to talk about disobedience because we all know that we disobey. And if that's all that we can say, that, that is discouraging. But God has given us the most encouraging good news there is in that he loves disobedient people. But that love is received as we trust in Christ, as we turn to him. As we say, God, forgive me of my sins. Help me with this life. Give me faith. Forgive me of my sins. Help me to obey. And help me to not disobey. And so now we are Christians living through Jesus. May Jonah teach us that. And in the coming weeks, may we grow stronger in the book of Jonah. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. For Jonah, and the foolishness we see in his life of trying to run away from you. God, help that to not be me. Help that to not be us. Help that to not be our church. God, help us to see the beautiful good news that we can turn to you. And may we do that. May we turn to you. May we obey God, say, I want to obey God, but I can only do it by Jesus' power and strength and lordship in my life. God, help us with this. Help us to be honest where we're disobedient. Help us to see that it can't be some of our lives that look obedient and yet ignore the disobedience. Help us, God. Work this in us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here today and you need to deal